0: Good morning. Glad you're here this morning to worship with us. It's good to see you. I'm Randy Lanthrop. I'm the pastor here. This is Mark McAlpine. He is a member here who is a home builder. He's, having, he's had a rough week. Home builders are having a rough time, and he's been working hard this week. Um, but I really appreciate the extra work he's been putting in to help with this series. He's he's not only a home builder, uh, he is He has a master's in apologetics from Biola, and so he's looked into all these things that we're talking about and uh, done some research for us, some extra work this week, and helping with putting this whole message series together. I really appreciate that. Uh, It's been a different message series. It's very cerebral. I'm used to using my brain, but I think when I try to wrap it around scientific matters, there are parts of my brain that get used that don't normally kick into gear. And so, um, I don't know about you, but it's, it's, it's refreshing to find out those parts of the brain work a little bit. Um, but anyway, the main reason we wanted to do this series is look at what the scripture says about the origins of the universe. And it is so lopsided, what you hear in the media and what you get out of the classroom these days, that we wanted to show uh, that there is more to our faith than just an emotional thing that it really is, there, there is good evidence that supports what the Bible says. So as you dig into it, um, you begin to realize that uh, there is a tremendous amount of truth here <laughs> in that word that God gave us, that God claims to, or that the Bible claims to be. And it actually is the word of God that you can trust, that you can build your life. In. That, that that's our goal in this series, is to show the, the reality of the Scripture Um, I don't know, you've probably seen a stereogram. I don't know if you've known what to call it. But a stereogram is one of those pictures where you you look at it, and when you glance at it, it it just looks like some colors and patterns. But as you look, if if you're able to look at it in 3D, you can actually see a picture behind it. Um, I saw one online. It's like a dinosaur and a shark and, you know, different things. I couldn't see the dinosaur or the shark. I didn't look at it long enough or something. But anyway, I was checking it out, trying to figure out what you call that thing. <laughs> and um, it's a stereogram. That's how it is with the universe. You can see the patterns. You can see the order in the universe. And the scripture says, if you'll look behind the patterns in the order, you'll see God. There's there's evidence for the living God in the in the creation that we enjoy. So what we're doing in this series really is showing that reasonable, good scientists are uncovering all the time evidence that points to the reality of a creator. This has been happening for, for years. Um, as, you, as, you get into, uh, as you get into the Bible, it, it makes claims, it says things, as science goes about doing what they're doing, They keep uncovering stuff that supports the truth of what Scripture is saying. And so we're laying out some of that stuff in our um, message series here. That's what we're doing. What the Scripture says is that we can know God exists and we see his character through nature. In other words, God is speaking to us through nature. Theologians would call this general revelation. In other words, in a general way, you can know that God exists by looking at the things that he has made, God is speaking to us. If you'll tune in to the right frequency, you can hear him loud and clear through the things that have been made in nature. We see some things about God. First of all, we see his glory. We mentioned this already, but in in Psalm 19:1 it says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." That word "glory" literally means uh, weight. Or, you know, the value, like the, the value of gold is measured by its weight. And as you see the, the universe, as you see the things that God has made, you understand how valuable he is, how important, how, how weighty he is. You see his glory, and you're in awe. Like myself, when I look at the Golden Gate Bridge, I'm amazed. I think, now who, you know, how in the world did the engineer, the designer of that thing figure that out? You know how how did that all come together you as you see something that's engineered well you're you're drawn to think now that is amazing thing who who came up with that and how did that pull out same thing with the creation as we see the world in the way it is we can we can be awed by the one who made it uh, the skies proclaim the work of God's hands if you're hiking around South Dakota you just you know enjoying yourself you'd never heard about the the uh, Mount Rushmore and the carving into the side of the the rocks there and the side of the mountain and you come upon it and you see the faces of the presidents you're going to think somebody was up to that <laughs> that isn't that's an, the work of an artist that's not the result of of mere you know forces of nature carving the faces of the presidents out on the side of the mountain and that's how it is with creation that's what Psalm 19 is saying that As you see the way things are made, as you see the creation, as you see the universe, the world, and even our human bodies, you you see the work of a designer in that. That's the claim of Scripture, and I believe that lines up with reality. Through creation, what God is saying to us is, I'm here, and I want you to know me. I, I want you to get in touch with me and know me. Second thing we can see, or a couple other things we can see about God and nature, is we can see his power in nature. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So we can deduce these things from the universe. As we look at the creation, we realize the one behind this has an incredible amount of power, eternal power. In fact, He's existed from the beginning of time. So this all this had to start somewhere. That's the logical thinking. If something exists, there has to be a cause, cause and effect. So God is the eternal power behind this. He got it all started. He got it rolling. That's what the scriptures saying. And you also find out, you can also deduce, you can conclude that, What's behind this is an intelligent being. There is, there's a divine nature to this. Not a, not a force, but a person that, that really exists. So another thing God's saying to us in creation is, I have the power and the intelligence and the wisdom to help you with what you're dealing with right now. That's, that's what he wants us to gather from that. Finally, we can understand God's goodness. Or kindness in creation. Uh, Acts fourteen, fifteen through seventeen says this: Friends, why are you doing this? What's What's happening here is uh, Paul and Barnabas are in I think it's Lystra, and it's an area of uh, Greece in the ancient world and um, in the first century. And anyway, what they've done is that God has used them to heal someone, and the crowd that witnessed the healing starts naming them gods, like Zeus. I think they called Paul Zeus and Barnabas another name of a god. And, and uh, it's, it's sort of our equivalent of making someone a rock star. <laughs> you know, wow, it's like Zeus. Anyway, sorry, I digressed there. That was my picture in my mind, and obviously it didn't connect very well. But um, But anyway, what he's saying is, friends, why are you doing this? Why are you calling us gods. We are merely human beings like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. And then he makes a statement about God that's important for us today. God made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and that's what God does. He allows you to choose whether or not to follow him. For, uh, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. So in other words, what he's saying is, you see in the seasons, in the crops, in the way God has made the world to allow things to grow so that we can enjoy them and eat, you see his goodness and his kindness there. He he made us and he's provided for us. You can know something about the goodness of God. And you may think, well, there are people starving in the world today. But the fact of the matter is God has provided enough for everyone on the face of the earth to eat and enjoy plenty. The problem with the starvation going on around the world are the, pe- the people in the world who are nations that have grown up and get into power games and they, they, they cause problems in selfishness and self-focus that, That fights over this. There's enough food for everybody to have 3,000 calories a day. God has provided it. He is good. He is kind. And you see his goodness and his kindness in the creation that he's made. So in in the way that God has made the world, what he's saying is, I am good. I'm kind. And I want to take care of you. I will take care of you. And so we can know about God in a general way some general things, and even get sort of specific about his character. That's what the scripture says. We've been talking through the different channels of, or I've been talking about, referring to the different channels that we use to verify truth. When we check out something, whether or not it's true, we've looked at how it's, there are three of them. The intellectual channel, does it make sense? Is it logical? Does it fit with what I know of reality? The pragmatic channel, does it work? Um, And then the emotional channel, how does it feel? Does this feel right to me? We use those when we're verifying truth. And we do the same for Christianity. As you're coming into Christianity, use those. We've been sort of majoring on the intellectual channel. And Mark is going to come and he's going to lay out some evidence from science that things that are going on, show us some illustrations from some videos that I think will help us begin to realize again or give us some more things to think about Uh, on the intellectual side of things that point to an intelligent designer. Mark, would you come?
1: I do appreciate the verses that Randy's chosen for this week's, because over the last few weeks we've really tried to give some concrete examples of the heavens declaring the glory of God as well as the power of God being evident in his creation. You continue to hear us talking about Evidence, And that's really what we're all about over the last few weeks and, and leading into the seminar. We're not asking anybody on faith to believe what we're saying. What we're saying is, here is good science, here's good evidence, here are good reasons to believe that we're not a cosmic biological accident, uh, that we were created on purpose by an intelligent designer, and that intelligent designer is the God of the Bible. My hope is that through this evidence, and again, we've just sort of scratched the surface, we'll be able to to get into a little bit more detail next week in the seminar, but our hope is the evidence as presented is such that a logical person could conclude that it requires more faith to believe that all that we see, all that we are, came to be through random, purposeless uh, evolution than the faith it would take to believe that we're here for a specific purpose. We're designed by an intelligent designer, and that intelligent designer is indeed the God that's spoken about in the Bible. We've talked about a lot of things over the last couple of weeks, And today, we're going to sort of wind that down, talking about uh, a couple of more things. But before we get into that, uh, I would like to talk just a second about the seminar, uh, as Alex was uh, mentioning earlier, Uh, next Sunday night. we will be given the opportunity to get into a little bit more detail on some of the precepts that we've talked about. We'll be given the opportunity to talk about things that we haven't even brought up yet. But don't necessarily come to the... The seminar expecting to walk away with all of the answers because i can 't do that i don 't know all of the answers, but what I would like to do is present uh, both sides of the story this is what evolution believes this is why they believe it this is what intelligent design and creation believes and this is why we believe this and the result will be we'll all have choices to make. Which decision are we going to make? Which direction are we going to go? So That's really, uh, for those of you who want to attend the seminar, that's really going uh, to be what we're going to focus on next week. Evolution wants us to believe that everything that we see and know came into existence from nothing, for no purpose, no cause, with no explanation. Through eons of random, purposeless, incremental, biological change, everything that we see came to be. There's a problem with that. Our life experience doesn't uh, underscore that. Um, as, As Randy was just talking about the pragmatic approach, does it really work? I've never seen this process of evolution uh, actually produce anything. It's not part of, of our world. It's not part of what we've seen. We've never seen this type of thing happen. Everything that we observe is in some way ordered. And we know from experience that order is a result of information. And we also know that behind information, there is always intelligence. We've talked about and tried to lay out the diametric opposite views between evolution and intelligent design and creation. We've discovered that there's an incredible difficulty trying to harmonize the two concepts. Hopefully, with these differences, uh, as I said a little bit before, it will lead us down a path to a decision. Which shall it be? Because it seems pretty obvious to me that both can't be true. We have to decide one way or another. So let me uh, continue on this morning with just a couple of more what I think to be compelling evidences uh, for the idea of an intelligent designer, and that intelligent designer being the God of the Bible. Darwinism is based on small, positive changes in an organism occurring over long, long periods of time. The agents of these changes are random mutation and natural selection. Given this, it would be rational, it would be reasonable to expect that the fossil record would show us then progression, as as the evolutionists would teach, from simple, single-celled, Uh, creatures, if you will, to more complex uh, creatures that we know today. The the fossil record should be uh, able to be read like a book. The deeper that you go uh, into the Earth's strata, the older uh, fossils are, the farther you dig back, you should be able to see an unbroken chain of evolution, if you will, from this to that. Unfortunately, that isn't the case. Unfortunately, uh, there's a big gap in the fossil record. In our fossil record, we have evidence of very, very old, very, very simple organisms. But then uh, uh, paleontologists, excuse me, uh, discovered that some uh, oh, 500 to 530 million years ago, all of a sudden, uh, in terms, uh, in geological terms, all of a sudden, almost all of the life forms that we know of today, almost all of the phyla that exist today, just appeared without what one might have thought if one believed in evolution, those pre- uh, preceding steps from simple to complex. This period is called the Cambrian Explosion. And we have a little video clip uh, that will explain that.
2: The branching tree pattern of Darwin's theory is actually not seen anywhere in the fossil record unless we impose it with our own minds. So the Cambrian explosion is the most dramatic refutation of the tree of life.
3: The Cambrian explosion of life was a dramatic episode in geological history. Usually dated at about 530 million years ago, the exquisitely preserved Cambrian fossils reveal that the body plans for virtually every major animal phyla appeared not gradually and slowly as Darwin had speculated but instead with astonishing suddenness
2: if we imagine the whole history of life on earth taking place in one 24 hour period the current uh, standard estimates for the origin of life put it at about 3.8 billion years ago let's say 4 billion So if we start the clock then, our 24-hour clock, six hours, nothing but these simple single-celled organisms appear, the same sort that we saw in the beginning. Twelve hours, same thing. Eighteen hours, same thing. Three-quarters of the day has passed, and all we have are these simple single-celled organisms. Then at about the 21st hour, in the space of about two minutes, Mm -hmm. boom, most of the major animal forms appear in the form that they currently have in the present and many of them persist to the present and we have them with us today less than two minutes out of a 24-hour period that's how sudden the Cambrian explosion
3: was in a geological instant the animal kingdom leaped from small relatively simple organisms to extraordinary creatures with spinal cords compound eyes and articulated limbs. The record of this explosion of life looks nothing like Darwin's slowly branching tree.
2: Darwin's theory is that there's a tree of life where you have one organism diverging into many other organisms and big differences appearing at the top. What we really see is from here up. This does not exist in the fossil record.
1: To me, the picture of the geologic clock is a very, very powerful example of the Cambrian explosion. Uh, And it flies in the face of typical Darwinian evolution that, as the example goes, in all of this history for a very, very short period of time, the two minutes uh, that our speaker uh, alluded to, all of a sudden, Seemingly from nowhere, all of these fossils came forward. And uh, fossil evidence doesn't provide us evidence of any transitional species that one might think would be available with evolution. And evolution doesn't offer a satisfactory explanation for the, many, uh, for the missing fossils. Um, they have essentially a couple of common responses to the Cambrian, uh, Cambrian explosion. First of all, uh, they might tell you that, well, the earlier simpler forms of life uh, were very soft-bodied and wouldn't necessarily have formed into fossils. Uh, Not particularly satisfying, at least from my standpoint. And the second reason uh, is is perhaps the most uh, preeminent reason, and it's we just haven't found those fossils yet. We just haven't found the fossils that would lead us to believe that there are transitional species uh, yet. Um, You know, to me, again, let's look at the evidence as we see it and draw our own conclusions. In Darwin's Tree of Life, the only illustration in his uh, his seminal book, The Origin of Species, um, life starts from the bottom and works its way up, but as we look at fossil evidence such as the Cambrian explosion, uh, it appears very differently, that perhaps life started at the top uh, and worked its way down. Uh, It's it's no secret again uh, the message that we're bringing. We believe that there's good, solid evidence to show that it's not natural processes that work here, but it's an intelligent designer. It's God uh, that's doing these sorts of things that we see. And finally, to wrap up, we'll discuss just one more of the scientific wonders that that might cause a reasonable person to suspect that our universe was created by an intelligent designer. And it's only in the last century, just uh, more than 50 years ago, uh, that science discovered what is called the language of life, or DNA. Uh, Back in 1953, those of you who were uh, with us Last week, we'll remember that 1953 was a a good year for science and that uh, the Stanley Miller experiment, uh, talking about the growth of amino acids, um, essentially from nothing in a lab that was later proved to be uh, impossible to do, also happened in 1953. But back then, Francis Crick and uh, James Watson won a Nobel Prize for their discovery of the double helix structure of the DNA molecule. DNA is a storehouse of genetic information necessary to create all of the amino acids, all of the proteins, that everything that we see, our bodies are built from. DNA, in very simple terms, is information made up in a four-letter alphabet, A, G, C, and T, representing four different chemical compounds. In DNA. these letters appear in all sorts of different combinations creating uh, the different cells that create the different amino acids that create the different proteins uh, that create all the different things that we see. Right now we've got another video that we'll talk about uh, the creative powers of DNA.
3: This information is stored in a precise arrangement of four chemicals that scientists represent with the letters A, C, T, and G. Sequences of these chemicals provide the instructions necessary to assemble complex protein molecules that in turn help form structures as diverse as eyes, legs, wings, and hearts. This code has been called the language of life and it is the most densely packed and elaborately detailed assembly of information in the known universe.
1: Geneticist Michael Denton has estimated that the amount of biological information necessary to build all of the proteins in all of the species of organisms that have ever existed on planet Earth could be held in a single teaspoon. And we'd still have room left over for all of the information contained in every book ever written. Everything uh, that we are starts with DNA and starts with the information that's embedded in the, uh, in the DNA. And this information is a huge problem for, ev- for evolution because you have to ask the question, where did the information come from? How could proteins emerge in the primordial oceans without the instructions embedded in the DNA? Well, the answer is that it couldn't have happened. Uh, the information inside of DNA is necessarily or is necessary for everything that we see and for every creation that we uh, have had a chance to look at. Evolutionists, and, and using their, uh, their reasoning and their theory, would perhaps try to explain the origin of the information in DNA three ways. First would be to use one of their uh, uh, their terms, random selection. Virtually nobody today believes that the information in DNA could have been randomly or could have randomly come together. The the odds are just too high. Uh, The probability is just too great. So no scientist really thinks that this information came about randomly. Another precept, again, of evolution is natural selection. Could this information embedded in DNA have resulted in natural selection? Well, as we've talked, natural selection uh, requires a self-replicating organism to work. Uh, Natural selection is a cell dividing, mutating in a positive way, uh, the positive mutation living, those that didn't get the positive mutation dying, and over eons of time uh, getting stronger and stronger and stronger and better. So natural selection uh, assumes very small positive changes from generation to generation, uh, but here's the problem with that from an evolutionary standpoint. To have cellular reproduction, there must be cell division, which presupposes the information that's embedded in DNA. No information in DNA, then cell division isn't possible. So That sort of throws natural selection out. The third and final method that the evolutionists would talk about would be uh, called chemical self-ordering. And the theory behind that is perhaps... And again, this is a, this is a theory. Perhaps um, different ions, for instance, have a bonding capacity that they're natural attractors of each other. And a good scientific example of this uh, are salt crystals, sodium chloride. The sodium ion has a natural affinity to the chlorine ion. They naturally bond and become uh, what we know of as salt. A couple problems with that. With this bonding, all they'll ever be is salt. It'll just be uh, sodium, chlorine, sodium, chlorine, sodium, chlorine. It will never change from that. The other problem is that what we're talking about there is called ionic bonding. We have to step from a molecular level back a little bit and understand that amino acids don't bond in that way. Uh, And so the idea, again, of chemical self-ordering doesn't even really work. And even if if amino acids did bond simply, and we took an A and a G from our genetic code, from our DNA, and we found that A bonded with G, well, what you would get is a repetitive A-G-A-G-A-G. And it's been said uh, that self-organization would produce a mantra, not a message. It takes information to produce a message. It takes intelligence to produce information. So, Uh, Where did this information in DNA come from? What science tells me is not satisfactory. I believe that as I see this information, that there is intelligence behind that and that there's sufficient evidence to reasonably believe that intelligence caused this information to happen. We have one more uh, clip about this.
3: An explanation for the origin of the genetic instructions needed to build the first life is the holy grail of 21st century biology. Theories proposing that this information arose through natural selection acting upon non-living molecules or the self-organizing power of chemicals in a primordial soup have repeatedly failed. Even time and blind chance the oft-invoked saviors of implausible biological scenarios, have fallen far short as accounts for the source of the instructions in DNA. Mathematicians, for example, have calculated that a universe filled with monkeys, typing relentlessly throughout the oldest estimated age of the cosmos, would have no realistic chance of producing Shakespeare's play Hamlet. Let alone a transcript of the genetic information required to build even the simplest living cell.
1: You never lose when you have monkeys in a clip. But again, uh, as I wrap up, information always, always equals intelligence. Over the past three weeks, we've examined good evidence from many different branches of science. We've talked about cosmology, physics, astronomy. We've talked about biochemistry. Uh, We've even talked a little bit about philosophy. We think we've stepped up to the challenge, offering reasonable answers to these big questions. Now it's up to you. Are we a result of blind, purposeless chance, or are we the result of an intelligent designer, the God of the Bible?
0: Say thanks to Mark for spending the time on this. I think, I think he's a gift to us. You know, some of us don't have these questions. We haven't thought about this that much, but many of us do. And uh, I think he's a gift to our congregation to help us work through these things. We've been talking primarily about what we've called, we're what theologians, theolo- theologians, making up words. Theologians, what they call general revelation, uh, it's a leap from, from there to uh, believing in Jesus Christ, deciding to follow him. The way you make that step is you get into the scriptures and you test it out. And you'll find that it holds up to science as well. It's interesting. You find things like over 2,500 years ago, one of, the, one of the guys that wrote in the scripture referred to the circle of the earth. He wrote that in a day when everybody thought the earth was flat. Had no satellite images where we could see the earth, where we could gather. gather. So how, how did he get that information? Where did that come from? So the Bible is special revelation, specific revelation that tells us what God thinks about us, what he's thinking, why he created us, who he is, more and more information about who he is. So you have to check out Scripture as well. And as you get into Scripture... God wants to get to your heart. And you find things that are amazing. Like the amazing thing to me is that this majestic, glorious, immense creator pays attention to you and I. Look at Psalm 8, 3 and 4. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Not not only does God pay attention to us, he wants people to seek him and find him. And he's built into us this ability to choose whether or not to obey him. He wanted a real relationship with us, and so he gave us the choice of whether or not to follow him. And as you dig in, you find out that creation unveils the creator, and the Bible reveals his purpose for us. His purpose in creating us is to express his love to us and establish a relationship with you and I. He wants our heart. He wants to know us. Look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. It says, even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. Through Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So in the special revelation, you see what God was thinking. He created this universe, built this world, put us in it so that in our lives we could seek after him and find him, connect with him, so that he could pull a family together, people who would call him father and choose to to obey him out of a free heart, out of a will that's free to choose to do that. He adopts us into his family through Jesus Christ. That's what you find. John 1.12 says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become the children of God. So there's a 2 edged purpose in this message series. Uh, First of all, uh, we wanted to encourage those who are investigating Christianity to, to dig deeper, to put maybe some questions that have been on the back burner on the front burner and begin to dig in. And we haven't pretended to be biased at all, that's for sure. I don't think that would be appropriate here. Um, But we wanted to encourage you. We wanted to show both that there is another side to things other than the Darwinian evolutionary side and the other things that we gather from the media and the classroom these days. And also, you know, a lot of of us believers, we have questions that are rolling around in our minds that we need to bring to the forefront and get answers to. If we're going to build our lives on the Word of God, we need to know that it stands. We need to know that it is, it has a, it's a firm foundation for our lives and that it's not faulty in any way. And so we wanted to show believers that you don't have to be afraid to ask the questions that are rolling around in your mind because there are answers to those questions. We have credible reasons to believe. And as you dig in, you find more and more that there, there's a solid foundation for our faith. Would you pray with me as we move on? God, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word, for your faithfulness to leave evidence of yourself, for your love that cares for us, your goodness and kindness to us to give us what we need to live life. And God, we we thank you for just your love that went to all this trouble to build a world we could live in and allow us to to see you and come to know you. Father, we we ask for your help wherever we're at. I ask for everyone here that wherever they're at in their relationship with you, that you would help them move to the next step, that you would help them take that next step in, in following you and knowing you, God. We ask for this help in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.